Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the risen Lord, right? Wow, I feel like I've been to church already this morning. How about you? So good to see you today. Uh, some of you are off of spring break and you're still alive. We're grateful that you came back. And uh, into the spring break weekend, and for all of you watching online, we're glad that you're here today. Stand with me this morning. We're going to get into the Word of God. And uh, how many of you believe God has something to say to every one of us today? I mean, I believe that. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you love us and you care for us. Our ears are open, our heart is receptive. Let your word do what your word does, changing us and molding us and fashioning us into what you want us to be. And for that, we're grateful and we give you praise. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. In 1944, there was a young lieutenant that was dropped off in the Philippines to Lubang Island, and his name was Haru Onada. He was a very young man, and there in the Philippines, he was uh, to defend that island for the Imperial Japanese Army. But in 1945, there was the dropping of the atomic bomb on Nagasaki, Hiroshima, and the war was quickly over. But there on that island, Haru was still in the war. Matter of fact, we have a picture of him when he started and when he finished. He stayed on that island in combat, defending the island for 29 years after the war was over. And they tried to get him to surrender. They tried to get him off the island, and he thought it was a trick, and he would not surrender. He would not give up. And so what they had to do is go back to Japan, find his commander, that put him on the island in 1974 they took his commander to the island and said Haru the war is over you can come out now how many of us have been fighting wars that have been over for a long long time and sometimes we still do that today and Haru died at age 91 years old in 2014 we went on a series called uncommon Christianity and this is what I know Uncommon believers know how to fight. They know when to fight, what to fight. They know when not to fight, when to stand down, and they also know when to stand up. So we want to go on a journey today. If you have your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17, something very, very familiar with you. How many of you believe that God is always speaking to us? And no matter where we're at in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit still has something to say to every one of us. So David is uh, going to the battle. This is verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. Drop down to verse 17. And Jesse said to David his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain, which is about four bushels, and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Now take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand, see if your brothers are well, and bring back news from them. Now most of you know David is a shepherd. 
He's not old enough to be in the army, but some of his brothers are. He's sent by his father to deliver these goods to the brothers. And he comes to the Valley of Elah. But when he gets there, most of you know, there is a standoff, a stalemate at the Valley of Elah. On one side is the Philistines, the other side is the, the army of Israel and Saul. And every day for 40 days, the giant Goliath comes out to make his challenge and make his boast. Now, now think about this. Here, here he is. He's coming out every day for the challenge. And he's strutting his stuff. How, how many of you know Goliath is like a peacock on parade? I mean, every morning, every evening, send me a man. You know, if, if, if I'm victorious, you'll be our servant. You'll serve our God. If you're victorious, we'll be your servants. Serve your God. And every day they hear this. And no one from the Israeli army, from Saul's group, wants to go out and fight the giant. So that's the setting. Now, David had to overcome a series of battles before he would engage the one that's the most important. Sometimes in our life, now listen very closely, we fight battles that are not that important. And we miss the ones that are really important. So how do we look at that? Well, one of the ways we learn it is by looking through the Word of God what happened in the past. Now I want to give you three things very quickly this morning of battles that we're going to face. Number one is the battle of feeling insignificant and undervalued. Has anyone ever fought that battle? You feel insignificant, undervalued. Someone made you feel less than really what you are or what you were at the time. Now, I'm sure David could have felt that in this uh, uh, time in his life, feeling insignificant, undervalued, because here he is, his brothers are warriors, he's not, he's not even old, uh, old enough to be in the army, but his dad sends him on this mission carrying some, some bread and, and some grain and some cheese, and David could have had some feelings, I'm just the water boy, I'm just the delivery boy, you know, they're important. Dad doesn't think I'm that important. He's sending me out. And he sure could have felt that back in chapter 16. Do you remember the story? God had rejected Saul. And now here, Jesse's house is going to be the place the prophet Samuel goes to to anoint a new king. So think about this. Jesse's there. You know, he's got his family. And now Samuel shows up. Saul's been rejected. And, and he gets there, and he is there to anoint a new king. So all the sons of Jesse, they're there for king audition. And Eliab, who is the oldest, I mean, he's tall, he's muscular, he looks like a king, he's king material. And Samuel says, this must be the guy, he looks like a king. And the Lord rejected Eliab, and he says, I don't look at a man like a man looks at a man, I look at his heart. So he goes to the next one, the next one. Now remember, he's got eight sons, but only seven are there. So all seven appear before the prophet Samuel. God says no to everyone, and he looks at Jesse. Now think about this. He must be perplexed. I know God sent me here to anoint a king, but he said no to all these, and he says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? He said, oh, yeah. I got one more. He's the youngest. He's out keeping the sheep. We didn't even call him. Now let me tell you something. If that happened to you, hello, you might have a little insecurity, a little undervalued, a little insignificant issue in your life, and now he's going to carry the mail, if you will, for his brothers in the army. Evidently, 
The family didn't think David was king material, number one, chapter 16. Number two, he is the water boy, chapter 17. And I'll guarantee you the enemy knows how to work on your mind. Anybody ever felt that? I've seen it right here in the church. I've seen it played out time and time again. Hey, wait a minute. I'm really important. Listen, my friend, everybody's important. Everybody has a task, a mission, a part in the kingdom of God. So here he is. He's probably overcoming these feelings of insecurity, insignificance, undervalue. But this is what we don't see. Now listen, he doesn't have an argument with his father. He doesn't say, Dad, I'm having an issue. He doesn't go there. We don't see David going through a period of despondency or depression over this because he doesn't think less of himself. Everybody here is a servant. Now listen to me. Everybody here is a servant. And God uses servants. Jesus took on himself the form of a servant. When I look back at this account of Naaman the leper, how many of you read about Naaman and his leprosy in the Bible? It's in the book of Kings. So when Naaman is infected with leprosy, there's a young uh, servant girl in his house that he picked up on the northern part of Israel, some of the raids that the the Syrians had, had made in that area. And this young lady probably watched every day Naaman coming home, taking off his armor, his uh, royal attire. He's the second most powerful man in all Syria. But he's a leper. He's, he's destined to die. There's no cure. So he takes off his vestments. He takes off his clothes. She sees every day he's getting worse and worse and worse. Then one day, this little servant girl said, Oh, I wish my master could go down to Israel. There's a prophet there that I think God could use to heal Naaman. Now, we know who that prophet was, Elisha. He is the one who followed Elijah. So Elisha's there in Israel, and this little servant girl sends him on the mission to go to Israel for his healing. So Naaman, in all of his pomp, his his ceremony, his chariot, his entourage. You ever seen anybody on television with an entourage? That's, 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 That's been going on for years. And so he shows up at the prophet's house, and he's thinking in his mind how it's going to go. You remember? He says the prophet's going to come out. He's going to take his mantle. He's going to do some kind of dramatic, you know, waving. He's going to say some big fancy words over me, and I'm going to be healed. No, it didn't happen that way. Matter of fact, Elisha never left his house. He sent his servant out to address this second most powerful man in Syria, and this is what he said. Well, the prophet in there said, you need to go to the Jordan River and dip seven times. That didn't go over well. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Naaman rode off in a rage. He was so (laughs) upset and felt like he was undervalued that he rode off in a rage And he says, I've got rivers there in my area, there in Syria, that's a lot cleaner than the Jordan. If I want to go, you know, take a dunk, I can take a dunk somewhere else. Now, his servant said, now, Master, if he told you to go do some big thing, some great thing, you would have went and done it. Why don't you just do what the man said? Do you know in that story, every word that Naaman heard to get his healing was said by servants. The servant girl in his house 
the servant that went out to talk to him from Elisha, the servant that he brought with him, only servant spoke to Naaman, but God did a great miracle in his life. Don't ever think, listen to me, don't ever think that God can't use anybody at any time, anywhere, and we're all servants of the Most High God. So don't get to the point where you get so lifted up and prideful that you let the enemy sneak into your life and begin to undermine what you're going to do and how he's gonna, God's going to use you. Now here's the second one, the battle of being offended. Has anybody here ever been offended today? I want to guarantee you something. We live in a society that gets offended now all the time. I'm about to start preaching. You can amen me. We live in a counter culture society that what people said today, yesterday, and 50 years ago now is offending people. And we see it on the news. We see it played out over and over and over. And folks, this culture has become almost ridiculous. We live in a society where everyone's offended. Now, you can't get through life without being offended. Let, let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard what he had spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? Now let me back up just for a minute and just, just hold that passage. What did David hear and what was David saying? Well, they begin to talk about what's going to happen to the person who goes out and fights Goliath. What does he get? Now this is what they get. They get, you know, riches, they get the king's daughter, and they don't ever have to pay taxes for the rest of their life. Where's Goliath? I want to go after him right there. I and mean, wouldn't that be great if you never had to pay taxes the rest of your life? You know, some of you are just lying, just shake your head. Yeah, come on. And, and that's what David heard, and he's rehearsing. So, okay, what, what, what do you get if you, if you defeat Goliath? So when his older brother heard that, then he responds. He, he says, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride, your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? How many of you ever read between the lines in the Bible? How many of you ever think there's something else there? When he said, what have I done now? Have you thought when you read that, this has been an ongoing thing? What have I done now? I know a little bit about brothers, and I'll guarantee you, David has got flack from his older brothers from day one. What do you think? What have I done now? What have I done now? And not, not only is he offended because uh, he thinks his brother doesn't want him there, secondly, his brother insults him because he says, David, not only are you a shepherd, but you're a little shepherd. Look at the line. Who have you left your few sheep with? You're just a little shepherd. You're not old enough to be in the army. Go home. Go back home to dad. What have I done now? I've, I've messed it up now. This is what Jesus said in, in, in Luke chapter 17. He says it's impossible to go through this world without being offended. How many of you know that's true? It's impossible to go through this world without being offended. And folks, I'm going to tell you, this offended thing can be a way the enemy gets you and gets me you get offended, you get your feelings hurt, and you never get to the real battle that you need to face. And, and that's what he does. We're not ignorant of his devices. Now, I want you to see here, this word offense in the Greek, 
is the Greek word scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal. Now that's interesting to me because the definition is it is referring to the removable stick or the trigger of a trap. It is used in regard to place something in the way to cause a person to stumble, a stumbling block, to cause one to fall. An offense is a trap. Say that with me. An offense is a trap. The enemy wants you to get offended so you don't progress past where you are. The enemy wants you get, to get offended so you don't move forward. Well, I'm going to take my ball. I'm going to go home. They offended me. Folks, I don't care what church you go to, who's your pastor, who's your boss, who's your wife, who's your husband, you are going to be offended. That didn't cost you anything extra this morning. I'm just telling you, it's the world we live in. Jesus was right. You will be offended in this world. And it is a trap to stop your progression. It is a trap to get you to stop. Here, here's the third thing that David had to encounter is the battle of other people's opinion about him. Do you know you have to battle other people's opinion about you? And I have to battle other pe people's opinion about me. Um, I, I, I went through a little historical list. You'll recognize some of these. Anybody here ever heard of the Beatles? You're spiritual, right? Uh, you've heard of the Beatles. The Beatles were rejected by one record company after another. One notable record company said, guitar groups are on the way out. The Beatles have no future in show business. Vincent van Gogh not only put up with verbal criticism, he never sold but one painting in his entire life. In 2017, one of his paintings sold for $81.3 million. Um, J.K. Rowling, I don't know if you know who she is. She was rejected time and time and time again. Publishing companies said kids are not into that now. She's the one who wrote the Harry Potter series. Uh, Winston Churchill's father said Winston is unfit for a career in law or politics. Henry Ford was told the horse is here to stay. The automobile is only a novelty, only a fad. Barbara Streisand's mother said you'll never be a singer because your voice isn't good enough and you're not pretty enough to be in movies. Theodore Geisel tried to publish his book and 27 publishing companies turned him down and one said what you're writing is pure rubbish. Now we know him today as Dr. Seuss. And how many of you know they're trying to get rid of Dr. Seuss? L let me get back on my soapbox here. Everybody good? In movies, in television, in music videos and songs, it is repulsive, it is sarcastic, it is sick, it is vulgar, and they're trying to get rid of Dr. Seuss. We have a huge... <laughs> We have a huge hypocrisy in the culture of America. So we are facing things and people can criticize and they can give you your opinion, but you've got to move through that. Uh, Albert Einstein uh, didn't speak until he was four years old. When he was in elementary school, people thought he was mentally challenged because he was asking questions that nobody understood. Yeah, all right, he's smarter than you. Stephen King was rejected 30 times before he published his first book, and today he's sold almost 400 million books and many big 
big motion pictures. Elvis Presley singing at a concert in Nashville, Tennessee. When he finishes, the concert manager said, you need to go back to Memphis and get a truck driving job. That's Elvis, the pelvis. Marilyn Monroe tried to start her career, was told by agency she should leave and go become a secretary. Steven Spielberg tried to get into the University of Southern California Theater of Film and um, Television and Theater, rejected three times. Listen, his collaboration in movies has sold billions of dollars. Do not take people's opinions about you to heart. And let me tell you why. 1 Samuel 17, verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for them. So David is saying, I'll go fight the giant. I'll go fight Goliath. So they send him to Saul. And this is what David said. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able. Say that with me. You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. David, you can't do this. There's no way for you to face the giant. No way for you to face Goliath. You're not able to do it. Well, Saul, listen, that's your opinion. God has a different opinion. Don't you start listening to other people's opinion about you. You need to listen to what God said about you. Because... One of the battles we face, and uncommon believers understand this, is to get to the main battle, but the enemy wants to get you tied up along the way that you never get to where God is trying to get you. And so that's the trick of the enemy, and we understand that. That's how he works. Can I hear an amen? So Saul's opinion could have hampered David and sidetracked him. And let me tell you, in today's world, everybody's got an opinion. Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, texting, social media has made it where we hear everybody's opinion. And I understand this. And listen, I'm sympathetic. Well, you know, I'm getting bullied on Facebook. Well, I don't have a Facebook account, so my deal is just don't look at it. I mean, quit looking at what people post about you or what they post about me. Now, listen, being a senior pastor here, nobody ever says anything about me. Matter of fact, sometimes they come to service and sit over here and they say things while I'm preaching. And I can't tell you what they say while I'm preaching. But you know what? It's not going to deter me from preaching the next Sunday. Because I'm not listening to everybody's opinion about me. And you should not listen to everybody's opinion about you. Because God has something to say about you. And what they say does not overcome what God says. What Saul said didn't overcome what God sent David there to do. I'll tell you what, I'm about to preach myself happy this morning because this is what we face. See, what's written here is not something two, three, four thousand years ago. This is relevant for you and I right now today. So David is going through these series of encounters as he goes to this battle, and some battles are just not worth fighting. David doesn't get locked up with his daddy. He doesn't get locked up with his brother. He didn't get locked up with Saul. He, can't, he said, i got to just keep moving here. But this is what happens to some of us. We, we, we fight over some of the dumbest stuff. 
But we got to keep moving, keep going to the mark, the vision, the calling, the dream, right? The company, the, the marriage, the romance, whatever it is, don't get locked up on the way. Let, let me tell you, I shared this in the early service. My dad was here, so I had to tell the truth because he could verify all of it. The last fight my brother Steve and I had was uh, when we were in our early 20s. And I, I need to preface something here so you'll get the full understanding. I'm the older brother, three years older than Steve. But about eighth grade or ninth grade, he became the bigger brother. Okay, everybody with me? I'm the older brother three years, but uh, about eighth grade, ninth grade, he became the bigger brother. So he was a high school uh, All-American, uh, All-State in high school, Went to Division One football team, played defensive end, 6'2", played at about you know, 265, 280. Uh, fought in the summer at Tough Man Contest so he could make money to go back to school. So that's my brother. Black belt and karate. So I come home from college one night, and it's late, and we, we, Mom and Dad live out in the country, have a two-story house. So I come home, go upstairs, Steve's up there. And it's not long, we get into a fight. Now, if he ever got a hold of you, it was all over. I'm just telling you, it was all over. So I had to be like Muhammad Ali. You float like a butterfly, you sting like a bee. And so we, we get in this fight, and I'm standing by the window upstairs, and he comes at me, and he, he, he's fixing to hit me. And I thought, if he hits me, he's going to knock me out the window. I'm going to be laying in the backyard, you know, a story down and so I just barely ducked I kind of felt the air you know go over the top of my head and when he came around I come up and I hit him three times right in the face boom 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 and I knocked him over the bed split his nose open probably broke it his mouth is split open blood's gushing everywhere and I, and I go down the stairs and I get in my car and I drive off <laughs> it's a true story hey I'm not dumb so I get in the car and I drive off and I drive around for about an hour. I come back. It's probably about 1 o'clock now. And all the lights in the house are on. I go in, go upstairs. Dad is sitting on the side of the bed. Steve's in the, in the bed. His nose is swelled. His lips are swelled. Blood, you know, all over the bed. And Dad said, and listen, I'm thinking, now Dad's fixing to get me. Uh, you know, th this is going to, you know, come home to roost. And Dad looks at me and he said, okay, this is the last time that you guys are ever going to do this because there have been other times. This is the last time you guys are ever going to do this. You guys are big enough. You're going to hurt each other. Steve's over there saying, yeah, that's right. You're going to hurt somebody. <laughs> so anyway, here's the rest of the story. You know what we were fighting over? Who was going to turn the light out? It's true. We're fighting over who's going to turn the light out. Some battles are not worth it. You got to be wise at how you're going to fight the battles. Uh, any married couples ever had an argument over something that really didn't matter? Y'all are so holy. <laughs> A few days ago, um, listen, I know all about this stuff. A few days ago, I hadn't shaved in two or three days, so I go in that morning, I shave, 
and, and I'm going you know, out of our bedroom down the hall to the living room, Carrie's in the kitchen. And, and so we kind of meet there, and I grab her, and I hug her up, and I kind of you know, rub my face up against her, and, and I said, just feel that smooth face. And she said, thank you. And I said, I'm talking about me. And she said, so you're saying my face is not smooth. How many of you know how that can work? I'm telling you, it works that way. And all of a sudden, you can be in an argument over something that really doesn't matter. And in our spiritual walk, if we're going to be uncommon Christians, if we're going to be wise people of God, we have to understand this is exactly what the enemy does to all of us in a spiritual sense. If he can get you hooked up to a battle you don't need to fight, he keeps you from the real battle you need to fight. Now, it's not just, listen, what I'm going through, it's what you're going to. Because he knows what you're going to, and that's why you're going through the things you're going through, because you're headed somewhere. Why is the enemy trying to get David offended with just thinking he's insignificant? He doesn't want him to get to Goliath. Why is he trying to get him stopped by his brother offending him? Because he doesn't want him to get to Goliath. Why is he trying to be offended by Saul? Because the enemy doesn't want him to get to Goliath. Because he knows if he gets to Goliath, then God is going to use David to bring down the giant. And this is more than just a David and Goliath story. Something bigger with it. Listen to me. Goliath said this, if I win, you'll be our servants and you'll serve our gods. This is not just between me and David. This is for everybody here. And my friends, we live in a culture today. We live in a time today. We need to know what our battles are. We need a little Kenny Rogers theology. You need to know when to hold them, and you need to know when to fold them. Right? Because sometimes we get hooked up in things that really don't matter when all the time there's a bigger issue over here, and the enemy's trying to keep you from it. I, I, I know uncommon Christians know what battles are important, and they know what battles are not important. And the battles never cease. The battles never cease. The older I get, the better I am warring. The older I get, the wiser I am at fighting my battles, but they never go away. I, uh, I think sometimes spiritually we think that God and this kingdom walk and the devil thinks we're at the Waffle House. Oh, you're 55, I'm going to give you a discount. Oh, you're 65, you get, the, you get the senior citizen discount. You know what the enemy doesn't do? Oh, you're 55, I won't work on you as much now, you're 55. Or you're 65, I'm not going to tempt you as much as you were when you are 20. How many of you know the devil doesn't think that way? But sometimes we think that way. Well, I'm older, I'm stronger, I'm wiser, so he's going to leave me alone. No! He's not going to leave you. This battle will go until the day you die. 
And until Jesus comes back, we're in a struggle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the dear Son of God, and we have to know how to fight our battles. You know, the enemy doesn't say, well, you're 65, you're 70, you're 85, I'm going to give you a break. A friend of mine, Dr. Paul Paino, who's preached here several times, got on to be with the Lord. He told me one time he was in a minister's conference in Washington, D.C., and a man was preaching. He was talking about temptation. And he used the point, he said, I thought when I got older, I wouldn't be tempted as much. And many of you know that, obviously, you know, there's times in your life that you you think it's going to get better, it's going to get better. And he used the illustration that when he was 20, you know, if an attractive woman walked by or ladies, if an attractive guy walks by, you know, your mind thinks things or maybe you're attracted to them. And so he, he used that illustration. He says, I thought when I got 40, it would get better. And he said, it didn't get any better. I thought, by the time I got 50, it'd get better. And he said, wasn't any better. I mean, you know, you're always battling temptation because there's a tempter. He said, I thought when I got 60, it'd get better. It didn't get any better. I, I thought when I got 70, it'd get better. And Dr. Paino said there was an old man sitting by him on the platform who was another minister. And he was 90 years old. And so while that guy was preaching, the old man leaned over and he said, when you get 90, it's not any better either. <laughs> you know Why? We are in a struggle. We are in a war. And not just it's going to go away. You're going to have that struggle as long as you live. And if you're an uncommon believer, if you're an uncommon Christian, you understand that and you begin to realize this is what we're facing today. Let me shift gears. Matt mentioned it a moment ago during communion that the night that Jesus was betrayed, they're in the upper room, they're having Passover. He gives them the bread, gives them the wine. He talks about his body, he talks about his blood. They sing some hymns. They leave the upper room, they go across the Kidron Valley. They go to the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays. He looks at his disciples and he said, would you pray with me? You know what they did? They fell asleep. And he came back and he found them asleep and he said, couldn't you pray with me at least just one hour? And He goes a little further. How many of you are glad Jesus went a little further for you? He goes a little further and he prays again. And then from the temple mount, the scribes, the Pharisees, the temple guard, the crowd comes and they're led by Judas, the betrayer. They come with torches and staves and swords and weaponry and they come and Judas has told them, I'll tell you which one is Jesus in the dark because I'll come and kiss him. And, of course, we know the famous line, Jesus says, do you betray me with a kiss? Now, what happens in that arrest, that garden scene, Peter is packing. He pulls out a sword from his sheath and he cuts an ear off. One of the high priest's servants is found in John 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put up your sword into its sheath. Shall, not, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? You see, Peter's fighting the wrong battle here. Let me tell you what Jesus said in that account. He said, Peter, if I wanted to fight here, I could ask my father of 12 legions of angels and they would come and fight for me. A Roman legion is 6,000 men and 12 legions would be 72,000 angels. 
Can you imagine 72,000 angels showing up to defend Jesus? Number one, Jesus doesn't need to be defended. He could just spoke the word, right? Um, in the Old Testament, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in a battle. One angel. Think about having 72,000 show up. And Jesus said, should I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? He, he's saying this, Peter, this is not the battle you need to be fighting. And here's another thing. The Bible says he cut off Malchus's right ear, and then Luke said Jesus healed him. Now, the only way I know you can heal an ear that's cut off, you've got to stick it back on, right? So think about this. Here Peter cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, sticks it back on. How do you feel when God heals your enemy? The person you thought was against you. Or the person you thought you had to war against. And all of a sudden the Lord heals the person you thought was your enemy. Let me say something here, and I want to insert this. I didn't say it in the early service. But I've seen this time and time again here at Ray of Hope. I've known people who've had issues with one another. And they walked into the church, and I thought, how are they going to respond to this? Because they had issues out there, and it seems like they're enemies out there. How do you respond when they come together? And I've even had my own issues. I know y'all never think about stuff like this. But I've had issues with people out in the world, and now they walk into our church. I can have that same issue, or I can allow God to heal them. I can allow God to heal them. Now, this is the point I want to get to. The very battle that Peter thought he had to fight was the one he should not have fought. But that night, the battle he should have fought, he did not. It was the battle of denying the Lord three times that night. I'm going to fight this battle. And all of a sudden, Jesus is trying to impress upon him, no, Peter, this is the battle you need to fight. Because I already told you, before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. And you know what Peter said? He said, no, I won't. How would you like to have been with the group that night? Because this is what Peter said. He looked at the other disciples and he said, oh, they may do it. Well, welcome to the fold. Oh, they may do it. But I would never do that. And see, the Lord is saying, Peter, you need to pray that you don't enter into temptation. That's the fight you need to fight, not this fight. Let me read a verse to you, Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul gives us some insight. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He doesn't fight the fight he should have fought, but he fought the fight he should not have fought right and if we don't watch it we'll get caught up in that same scenario I'm going to fight this not fight that no listen let that go this is the fight you need to be fighting right here and folks I believe the word of God is telling us by the power of the Holy Spirit we need to know what battles are important we need to know when to stand up and when to stand down when to stand firm because 
To possess the gates of your enemy, you have to go into enemy territory. (laughs) You cannot possess the enemy's gates if you don't go into their territory. And listen, we as the church, you are here today because you feel that God has called you here and God has called you here to be a bastion of truth and holiness and righteousness in a perverse world and the church needs to stand and fight the good fight of faith. And some of this other stuff, just let it go by, but let's fight what is important in this kingdom and in this world. Sometimes we have to pray before we pursue. Sometimes we have to fast before we fight. We have to intercede before we engage. We have to stand down so God can stand up. We just get in the way. It's interesting in David's life, there were times he went to the Lord and said, should I pursue my enemies or should I not pursue my enemies? And sometimes God said, pursue. You know what David learned? I need to know when to fight and when not to fight. And you and I as believers and uncommon believers, we need to learn when to fight, when not to fight, and what is important in the battle. Let me ask you this as we close today, what are you battling? Everybody's battling something. Could be a marriage battle, could be a, a relational battle with a child, maybe a mom, a dad, could be an addiction battle. We're all facing something. Could be a financial situation, could be a health situation. Let me tell you something the uncommon believer knows how to war and how to battle and what's important and what's not important. This morning, as I came to church and I prayed, And I begin to call different people's names out and I begin to pray for specific things and different reasons. There's something that happens in the heavenlies when we pray. Something happens as the Holy Spirit begins to even intercede through us in ways that we don't understand. And and I say things sometimes I don't understand, but I want to tell you the Holy Spirit knows. And as we progress in this world... You have to understand there's an enemy out there and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But God wants you not to be a victim. He wants you to be victorious, not a victim. And let me tell you one of the greatest battles you'll ever face is to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. So you can make heaven your home. You're not going to get there on your looks. Look at your neighbor. They're not going to get there on your looks. You're not going to get there because you're rich, educated, because you have position, power, whether you're white, black, purple, brown. It makes no difference. You're going to get there because of Jesus. And the enemy's going to try everything in his power for you not to get to Jesus. Because Jesus has already made a move to you. Now you just need to respond by faith to him. Would you bow your head with me right now? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.